Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You are Locked On Hawks. Your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Washington and their players, uh, their coaching staff, you know, Scotty Brooks and his assistants. Um, they've done a great job in this series. They've done a great job all year. Um, you know, so um, a lot of credit to them, how they played. Um, and, uh, you know, I was proud of the effort, the resiliency of the group. Um, you know, we obviously did not play very well in the, in the first half. Um, dug ourselves a big hole. Um, and to find a way, you know, to get back, and I think it's 100 to 97 at one point. And, um, you know, felt like we were had an opportunity to maybe dig ourselves out of the, another big hole. Um, but you know, a couple plays down the stretch changed the game, and uh, you know they were able to make a few more plays. And you know, Wall and Beal were, um, you know, uh, special, obviously. So credit to to them. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 192 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. You've just heard the words of Mike Budenholzer after game six uh, as the Atlanta Hawks lost to the Washington Wizards 115 to 99. That was uh, Coach Bud's opening statement um, to the media after the loss. And uh, as you might expect, he accredited the Wizards greatly, but also acknowledged that the Hawks did not play you know, particularly well in this game, especially uh, the first half of this game. Uh, and there was some talk after the game about uh, turnovers in the first half, 15 turnovers in total for the Hawks there. There was some uh, nitpicking to happen. And, and we'll We'll pretty much do a normal show uh, on this fine evening. Uh, for those of you that have not noticed already, I am actually at home. I did not record this podcast from Phillips Arena. They were already doing extensive teardown after the game, so the noise level was sort of uh, such where I could not record actually in the arena. So I'm very, very late into the night. Actually, it's a Saturday morning now as I record this. You'll probably notice that by the post time. I normally post this show about midnight. Uh, it's going to be a lot later than that because it's already past midnight now. But here we are, and uh, the Atlanta Hawks, of course, are now done for the 2016-2017 season. So that's, of course, the big story. Um, we will definitely do a normal breakdown show and then, of course, get into uh, quite a bit of, uh, you know, sort of uh, future-leaning content in the future, uh, looking forward to the draft and free agency and sort of the big-picture rebuild stuff uh, or rebuild not rebuild. I guess we probably know that's probably not going to be a rebuild at this point, but uh, some uh, sort of uh, f- philosophical stuff as well as looking back at what transpired this season with some player reviews. So... Well, we're going to bounce around considerably in the next couple of weeks. Uh, obviously, the season ended a lot earlier than the Hawks probably would have liked it to. And uh, for purposes of this podcast, the next major event for the Hawks is not till the not till the NBA draft. We're talking about you know almost two months between the, between now and then. So a lot of time to explore some different things here, and we'll take full advantage. But on today's show, we'll be breaking down the game and what transpired, as you might imagine. And uh, I thought it was appropriate to lead with Bud's thoughts on the proceedings. 
Uh, of course, uh, defensively, uh, I would say it was a big problem in this game. The Hawks uh, uh, allowed a 121.3 offensive rating for the Wizards in this game. Uh, the backcourt combination of John Wall and Bradley Beal finished with 73 combined points. 42 points and 8 assists for John Wall. 31 points uh, and 3 assists for Bradley Beal. The two of those guys combined to, uh, of course, were 73 points on only... 42 field goal attempts. Uh, Wall was 16 of 25, which is uh, 64%. Bradley Beal was 11 of 17. Uh, the two players also combined to get to the line 18 times, made 16 of those 18. Uh, just a super-duper efficient performance from, from Wall and Beal. Uh, Beal had some foul issues at one point in time. Wall had to play a little bit more minutes than he would like to. Scott Brooks talked about that after the game. But um, those two guys basically just lit the Hawks up throughout this game. Uh, not a big surprise considering those are the two best players for the Wizards. But uh, in a game in which the Hawks ended up losing by 16 points, but it was much closer than that. In the second half, uh, that was the biggest difference, was that the two of those guys played sort of out of their minds. The Hawks uh, were at least partly culpable for that with their defensive uh, effort in this game, but um, a lot of it was just shot-making from Wall and Beal as well. There were some uh, some wide-open shots, and uh, I would not claim to say the Hawks played good defense in this game because they absolutely did not. But um, credit to the Wizards, as Bud said. They made a lot of the shots that they hadn't made all series. Honestly, the Wizards were uh, it was sort of they were sort of due for one of these lights out shooting performances, given the way that the Hawks were allowing them some premium attempts throughout this uh, series. But they took advantage in this spot and uh, seventy three points on forty two shot attempts. It's just not going to get it done for the defense. Uh, in support of that. For the Wizards, the uh, this is the best game since Game One by far for Markeith Morris, who was the other sort of X factor for Washington, with 17 points and eight, and eight rebounds. He was still uh, solidly outplayed by his counterpart in Paul Millsap, and we'll get to that. But uh, it was uh, a big boost for Washington to have Markeith actually play well for the first time since Game One. So that was another big theme. But um, as for Atlanta. Defensively, that was a, obviously an, an ugly, ugly, ugly performance. Offensively, uh, there were some moments in which uh, there were some positives for the Hawks, especially in the second half of this game. But uh, in the end, a 104.4 offensive rating, a 47% shooting clip, which is just fine, but not, not exceptional, and 22 turnovers including, as I mentioned before, 15 in the uh, first half of this game. That would kind of put the Hawks behind the eight ball, and they were never able to fully recover. Uh, Bud acknowledged that um, in, in his postgame address. Uh, sort of hilariously, the first half, the Hawks shot 50% from the floor uh, in terms of, so they actually shot better in the first half than they did in the second half, but it was the turnovers that just sunk, sunk things in the first half. The second half, the Hawks shot only 45% from the floor, but managed to uh, keep their turnovers down. And got a couple of big performances that we'll talk about here in a second. But, uh, you know, in general, the offense I thought was acceptable uh, outside of the turnovers. Uh, the, the rate in which they score was not going to get it done most nights. Um, but they shot the ball well. They got to the line at 19 times, made 16 of those 19 free throws. They rebounded 31% of the misses in this game, which is better than you would think uh, it was going to be. It was just not taking care of the ball in the first half. Uh, Kent Bazemore, five turnovers in the first half. Uh, Dwight Howard, five turnovers in the first half. I would say that Bazemore were definitely more uh, affecting for the Hawks. He had a bunch of live. Ball turnovers, finished the game with seven turnovers, I believe, uh, on his own. And that was uh, not, not acceptable for Kent. He was not good. We'll get, we'll get to that later. But uh, that was sort of the big picture uh, look at what the Hawks did on both ends of the floor. In terms of uh, game flow, uh, this is, uh, the NBA is a game of runs, uh, which people always say, and it's sort of a cliche. It's, not even sort of, it's definitely a cliche and uh, one that I try to stay away from, but it was certainly true early on in this game. Uh, the Hawks, uh, sorry, the Wizards took a 17-10 lead when they had a 7-0 run. That was immediately followed by a 6-0 run by the Hawks, and then a 9-0 run straight back 
for the Wizards uh, to take a 10-point lead from there. Um, Washington led the rest of the way. The Hawks never led in this game, actually, uh, according to the box score, which I believe uh, I will trust in this spot. Um, they never led in this game, and that's not a big surprise considering um, the final number, but uh, it was it got, out of, got out of hand in a hurry uh, based on those runs early on. Uh, the Hawks did uh, hang around. Um, there was a couple of, uh, it was, I thought, some good activity from Dwight Howard, especially in the first quarter. Nine points and five rebounds in his first eight-minute stint. That was the best that we saw of him in this game. Uh, and also, a noteworthy event was the Kent Bazemore-Bradley Beal scuffle that actually resulted in four technical fouls on the two teams, two on each team. Um, I, I'm actually interested to know if, and maybe we won't know this now that the game, the series is not continuing, but there was at least a notion out there that by the letter of the law, there was a couple of people from the Wizards that actually left the bench as part of that uh, scuffle with 51 seconds left in the first quarter. That actually could have cost the Wizards uh, some suspensions in Game 7, and that might have opened the door for the Hawks to come back and win the series. But uh, all for naught, obviously, considering the Hawks lost the game, but uh, worth noting there. Uh, the defense are, you know, got an ugly start, 56% from the floor by the Wizards in the first quarter. Uh, all told in the first half, um, the uh, the Wizards had a 135 um, offensive rating in the first uh, for in the first half. In fact, uh, the Hawks gave up a 19 to four run to close the first half. That honestly probably should have ended the game. Um, that at that point the Hawks were uh, down um, significantly at the half. They were down by 19 points at the half. Allowed 65 points uh, offensively for the Wizards. I mentioned Bazemore's turnovers before, but he had four turnovers in about an eight-minute about an eight-minute stretch. That was ugly. I have that down as a note here. Um, Wall and Beal got it done uh, early on for sure, and the 15 turnovers were noteworthy. But the Hawks did awaken in the third quarter, which they should be credited for, even in defeat here. Um, actually, Otto Porter hit a three to start, start the second half to go up by 22, and it looked like it was going to be Sam old Hawks there. Um, but the Hawks awakened. Uh, they had a 7-0 run immediately to get, to get things back to 15, and then later on had a 10-0 run in the third quarter to get within nine. Non-coincidentally, um, the huge push that was made by the Hawks uh, came with Dwight Howard off the court. That was a big theme in this game, in my opinion, was uh, you know Dwight finished with only a minus 14 <clears throat> in a 16-point in a loss, which doesn't, doesn't seem crazy because he wasn't the only guy that happened. But um, before this game got, got out of hand in the final minute, a minute or two, it was a much closer game, and uh, the Hawks made that huge headway without Howard on the court. So worth noting there that they went they went small. Bub was asked about that after the game because Dwight did not play the final, I believe, 15 minutes and 40 seconds of this contest, and uh, that was the right move uh, by all objective measure. You know, he kind of justified it by saying they basically played better offensively. They played with more space, etc. Uh, he was quick to not blame Howard by any means, and uh, it was not necessarily a situation where a game that I would blame Howard, just that the Hawks are a different team with him off the court, and especially with the way that they were trailing it made a lot of sense to try to play faster, play with more offense, and uh, that does not that does not feature Dwight. So a little, little bit of a note there. Uh, I, I circled this uh, play, and it actually was asked about it after the game. Both Dennis Schroeder and John Wall were asked about it, but the huge, um, the uh, huge block, the chase down block from uh, John Wall and Dennis Schroeder uh, when the game was it was a three point game with about eight minutes to go. The Hawks did not, uh, the Hawks did not fade immediately after that. That was a huge uh, turning point, though. Um, that was the closest the Hawks got in this game. They trailed by three, and they never got closer than that. Uh, Wall then delivered sort of a pseudo a pseudo dagger with three and a half minutes to go on a mid-range jumper to go up by nine. And then for me, the full-blown dagger was the John Wall three-point play with about two minutes, two, two and a half minutes or so uh, remaining to go up by 10. And the Hawks were basically dead to right at that point in time. So a couple of just noteworthy plays there. But uh, in the end, um, it's sort of a weird game uh, in a lot of ways. It was a very Hawks game, actually. It was a very 2016-2017 Hawks game in that they played really, really badly for a couple of stretches. They played really, really well for a couple of stretches. And the end result was a little bit uh, below what you wanted to see from the Hawks. And then it resulted in a loss. Um 
before we get to full on game stuff, uh, I'm sorry, player stuff. Um, I thought it was interesting that Paul, both Paul Millsap and Dennis Schroeder played the entire second half until the absolute full blown garbage time with less than a minute to go. They would have both played the entire 24 minutes if the game had been competitive. Uh, that was the right move because of the fact that you know Paul Paul couldn't come off the court for a number of reasons, and Dennis uh, had been playing well, so there was no reason to take him off the court. But uh, something that Bud really hesitates to do is to really push minutes to that degree. But uh, you know, in a do or die situation, I actually liked that Bud was willing and able to do that. Um, it did not, of course, end up working out well, but it was not the fault of either Millsap or Schroeder in this game. Those, those were easily the, best, the two best players for the Hawks in this spot. And uh, so, something just to file away for the future that Bud was willing to do that. I was impressed by that decision, even though it's a little bit, it's sort of an obvious one, I think, in a, in a game in which you know you're losing. Uh, if you lose, you're going home. But at the same time, uh, Paul Dennis played uh, the entire second half, and that was uh, certainly noteworthy. Um, as we get into player stuff here, uh, you have to leave with Paul Millsap, as I just talked about, uh, 31 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists, 4 blocks, no, sorry, 4 steals for Paul and a block, uh, and 13 of 23 from the floor in 46 minutes of play. That's just an outrageous number, um, not, not in a bad way by any means, but, uh, you know, easily a, uh, season high for Paul in a regulation game, at least, um, this season. He played, uh, exactly 46 minutes and 11 seconds, uh, which is just a wild thing to consider, but he was, uh, fantastic. He's easily the best player for the Hawks in this game, as he has been all season long. Uh, you know, the defensively, you know, I guess you can dig up Paul a little bit for allowing the 17 point performance for Markeith Morris, but uh, it was not super duper efficient. It was on 14 shots for Markeith, and I thought Paul did a good job defensively and offensively. He was the guy. I mean, it was the everything ran through Paul as usual. He was fantastic. He took advantage of uh, the uh, of the Wizards on a number of occasions, especially, you know, the second half. I thought I thought um, Paul was just phenomenal. Honestly, there's no other way to put it. I feel like I'm a broken record with this thing, and I've been making fun of myself about that in the last couple of weeks. But in that second half, uh, Paul Mosev had 17 points, 8 rebounds, and 3 assists in a half of basketball. And you can't ask for much more than that um, from Paul. So that's sort of the short the short and the long version of uh, what Paul did here. But uh, well, definitely, I, I mentioned this in the middle of the game, and that's, I'll, we'll obviously come back to it. But that was the last time I ever get to co- cover Paul Mosev as a member of the Hawks. It was a pleasure. He was, he was fantastic, uh, as always. He was good on the podium as well after the game. Um, yeah, we can move on from that. Uh, Dennis Schroeder was the other uh, guy who had a huge game for Atlanta, 26 points, 10 assists, uh, and only two turnovers, a good ratio there for Dennis. You know, defensively, there were some issues as there have been in the series, but, um, I, I really don't tend to blame Dennis a whole lot for his defense in the series. There was different, some scheme things I didn't love. I didn't think he played great, great defense in this game by any stretch, as you might imagine with the way that Wall and Beal played offensively, but uh, Dennis, you cannot possibly ask for a better offensive performance yet again here. You know, 8 of 18 from the floor is nothing to jump up, jump, jump up and down about, but 3 of 8 from 3, which is, which is definitely what you want to see, and 7 of 8 from the line, uh, 10 assists. You, you, love, you love seeing that from Dennis, and I thought he played very well. Um, this is not, again, 40 minutes. Didn't, there's not a, ton, not a ton else you can ask for for uh, Dennis in this spot. And then just in general in the series, I thought Dennis was phenomenal. Um, it was definitely a, an encouraging thing for me as someone who's a little bit skeptical of Dennis as a uh, as at least an above-average starter moving forward. I think he's uh, the contract itself is a good one. But uh, at the same time, uh, he's still young enough, and uh, it was a roller coaster ride at times this season. But with the way he played in the playoffs under uh, interesting circumstances, I thought that was very encouraging for the future. And he played very, very well here again in Game 6. Um, 
Aside from that, though, there was not a whole lot to be uh, positive about in this game in terms of the other guys who played extended minutes. You know, Tim Hardaway Jr. had 13 points. He was the third leading scorer, but only three guys in double figures. And Tim needed 18 shots to get 13 points. Uh, 5 of 18 from the floor, 2 of 11 from 3. Just a just a lost series for Tim Hardaway Jr., honestly. I mean, it was, it's sort of unfortunate because I think uh, Tim has played quite well this season to the point where I don't think you could have possibly asked for anything more for Tim. But coming into the game, he was shooting 34% from the floor in the series in the five games, and that, that did not improve here um just a, a sort of a lost thing and offensively and you know defensively you kind of know what you're gonna get from tim he's not the greatest defender in the world by any stretch of the imagination i thought he was even worse than you probably would have thought he would be in the series uh just you know a lot of it's uh, the partnership with dwight howard and the pick and roll stuff that we talked about throughout the series and uh, a very very difficult matchup for tim and asking him to guard either john wall or bradley beal as they cross matched a few times in this series but uh in the same breath a def- definitely a disappointing series for Tim Hardaway Jr. And I, I think he lost himself some money. Uh, I, I think he's going to get paid that considerable sum of money because of the way that he uh, proved to be a quality scorer for the most part this season and uh, really came on really strong throughout the year. But I think uh, this definitely does not speak uh, terribly well to his uh, forecast as being a, a long-term starter, something we talked about in previous podcasts, including one with K.L. Chouinard uh, yesterday, on yesterday's show. So uh, another frustrating game for Tim. I, th- I know he wanted to be better than that. And uh, you know, some of it's just bad luck because I don't think you, you – know, with the way he shot in the series is unsustainably bad. I think you can't expect him to shoot you know, 30, 30-ish percent for a full series in six games. It's not something you're going to expect to see. You know, Tim is very hot and cold, but this was a lot of cold for six games. I mean, you saw about a quarter or two in the entire series in which he shot the ball well. And, and with the way that uh, his game is currently constructed, he just can't withstand that and be an effective player. So worth noting there that he was the third leading scorer, but uh, it did not come without cost. Um, Torian Prince uh, was basically, uh, I would say, anonymous in this game. Four points, five rebounds, two assists, and a steal and a block in 33 minutes. Uh, he didn't kill the Hawks by any means, but he was 0 for 3 from 3. Um, just sort of a guy who was out there. He didn't he didn't burn Atlanta too badly, and I thought he played good had good defense for the most part on Otto Porter, but uh, didn't stand out uh, beyond a couple of a uh, couple of nice highlight finishes that I, I like to see from Torian. His craft has impressed me in this series offensively, but uh, in general, this is not a uh, not not a noteworthy game for Torian in either direction, which is fine. I mean, he's a rookie who was not a, not a huge negative either, which is an encouraging thing for the future. Uh, finally, Dwight Howard I mentioned before did not play the final. 15 plus minutes of this game uh, did not seem to be thrilled and want to talk to the media after the game. Not a huge surprise there um, just because of the fact that he got buried, played only 23 minutes, um, actually less than 23 minutes. I believe the final count was uh, I'm looking at it now. Uh, the final count for Dwight Howard is this is, I'm sure fantastic radio um, was 22 minutes and 31 seconds. So I apologize uh, a little bit more than 22 minutes of play. Um, not a coincidence in my opinion that the Hawks uh, were better without him on the court during that stretch um, and especially in the third quarter um, so this is you know I, I know I'm probably broke a record on this as well but some some national guys who I trust Heraldus Vulgaris Mike Prada James Herbert of CBS just to name a few were uh, quick to point out that Dwight just can't get up and down the court with in the same way that really killed Atlanta transition defense on top of the fact that offensively the Hawks are just unequivocally better with that with him on the court it was good to see and I'll mention it again now uh, especially in the first quarter this is a, a Another game in which uh, the energy was really good for Dwight, and I guess it just kind of ran out of gas again. Um, but there was some good moments. I, I, I didn't love the post-ups early on, but if you can get Dwight Howard and Jason Smith, that's not the worst situation in the world. As much as I don't love the post-ups with him in non-transition situations, 
That's explainable because Jason Smith's the guy that the Hawks picked on throughout the series, uh, mostly with Paul Millsap, but even in this game with Dwight, there was a situation early on in which the crowd was almost living and dying on a Dwight post-up. Uh, there was a situ- there was one spot where the crowd almost erupted as he caught the ball in the post. It was a very bizarre situation and one that I, I took note of and sort of laughed about. But I thought Dwight was you know decent early on. There were some moments in which he was exposed. It was sort of a, a microcosm of the season in some ways, and the five turnovers were unfortunate in the first half. But um, I, I will be yeah, interested to see what Dwight says in his exit interview uh, later on the, over the weekend and into Monday. Uh, at, the t- at this time of the podcast, I don't really know when that's going to be scheduled, but it's going to be happening soon. We'll keep an eye on it, but uh, his comments will be very noteworthy uh, moving forward. But that wraps up an interesting season for Dwight. I didn't think he played uh, great by any means in this game. 9.7 rebounds. He was fine. 23 minutes, 3 or 4 from the floor. Actually made all three of his three throws, which is encouraging. Um, but uh, not a ton to talk about aside from the, the big story being the fact that he was, uh, you know, quote-unquote benched for the final uh, 15 minutes or so of this game. Uh, off the bench in this game, uh, Kent Bazemore, uh, sort of a weird game for Kent. Uh, nine points, six rebounds, three assists, which you might think is fine. Uh, seven turnovers in 30 minutes. He shot the ball well, four of six, one of two from three. But the turnovers were brutal. Um, the Hawks allowed 27 points on the 22 turnovers. Uh, much of, mo- most of uh, Kent's seven turnovers were live ball, and they were really sort of uh, backbreakers. It's something Kent's not been great at this season, that just kind of getting pickpocketed near midcourt, things like that. Um, that's sort of the downside with having Kent, the ball in Kent's hands quite a bit. Uh, I, I think I saw Brett Legree actually during the game talking about um, you know when Baysmore does not have does not have to be a primary creator, he he plays much better. I would definitely agree with that. This is a spot in which uh, this, there, there was a nice, a really nice stretch in the third quarter where Kent was uh, playing quite well, and you know his defense is much better than Tim Hardaway Jr.'s is. So there's uh, there's there's pluses and minuses there, but the turnovers are just unacceptable, and he did not play well in the aggregate as a result of them. That's just how, how brutal they were in this game. I'll, I'll defend Kent a lot of the time, but you can't commit seven seven turnovers uh, against three assists in a game, even when. Uh, you do some other things that are positive on the court, so not a great, not a great play there from from Kent. But he did play a lot, played 30 minutes because of the fact that the Hawks were, were trying to go small, and I was okay with that. But uh, there, there it is. Uh, the only other guy who played double-digit minutes was Jose Calderon. 16 minutes uh, for Jose, six points, two assists, hit, cut, hit, hit two big threes in this game. Especially, you know, I think of one off the top of my head now during the during the big comeback that was a big uh, sort of a, a big boom in the arena, and the, you know the people love the people love Jose, Jose Calderon. I thought he was uh, he was okay here. I didn't love uh, Buzz' decision to go with Schroeder and Calderon playing together in the backcourt, especially given the fact that Schroeder was going to play uh, pretty apparently the entire second half. But with the way that the Hawks wanted to go small here and they went away from Muscala and Elisova, I understood it a little bit more. I just didn't think you, you could really guard with that lineup, which, which proved to be true. But uh, in general, Jose you know, did, much, 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 did much more in this series than I ever thought he'd be able to. And he should be credited for that. Made some shots in the way that you want him to be, did, in the way you want him to if he's out there. So uh, credit to Jose Calderon. Um, interestingly, <clears throat> Mike Muscala and Ursula Elisova combined to play only 12 minutes in this game. If you told me that ahead of time that Dwight Howard will play 23 minutes and you only see 12 combined minutes from Muscala and Elisova, I would have assumed an injury for somebody. But that, that didn't happen. The Hawks just went small. You know, Paul played center for you know basically the entire second half, uh, or at least not the entire, but most of the second half, um, basically the entire fourth quarter. Neither Muscala or Ilyasova attempted a field goal. Uh, Ursan got to the got to the line two times. Uh, just very anonymous performances. It was an interesting uh, changeup that Bud did, and I, I had no problem with it. It also got Marcin Gortat off the court. Uh, Gortat put only 18 minutes in this game, and really wasn't in huge foul trouble. He had a little bit of foul trouble, but 
not to the point where he couldn't play. It's just that he couldn't be on the court necessarily with the way that the Hawks were going super small. And that uh, I think that in general played played up as a win. I was okay. I would have been okay with more minutes from Miscal and Eliso, but I was also okay going smaller. This is a situation where Thomas F. would have been really nice to have, honestly. Um, I still, uh, I will mention it one final time in the series. I just, I, I'm at a loss as to why you would not play him uh, basically at all in this series. Uh, I mean, there's a spot where, for instance, if you're, at, at, the, at the point where Calderon was playing shooting guard, essentially, in the second half, those are minutes that could have gone to Cephalosha. Even if they didn't want to play Cephalosha a ton, that, that's, there's no reason why he couldn't play there as sort of a stopper guy. And uh, basically his entire uh, deployment in the series was as a, a defensive specialist on one possession or two at a time. And that's just that's a very, very weird situation. I, I'm interested to see what Tavo says in his exit interview as well. He's a free agent. I, I expect him to probably be gone that, as a result of this. But uh, we've got plenty of time to get to that. But worth noting that I was uh, baffled by that. I want to say it one, more, one final time. About the series, about that was uh, for me that the most frustrating thing that Bud did the whole series was just not playing Tabo. But there you go. Finally, Mike Dunley, you played one minute. Uh, was minus was minus four. Got one stretch in the first in the first half. Never came back. I was okay with that. You know, so effectively the Hawks played nine guys and only seven of them played sixteen minutes or more. So. Uh, yeah, there you go. Um, so individually, no, nothing crazy aside from Paul and Dennis playing very, very well. And uh, unfortunately, you probably needed one or, one or two guys to play well in their stead to have a real chance to steal this game, even at home. And uh, with the old adage that role players play better at home, but it didn't really happen here because your your two uh, best guys in this in this game uh, were the guys that carried you, but nobody else really stepped up to help them. Um, all that said, uh, this is a, I, 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 you'll, have, you'll have plenty of time to uh, dissect me in the next couple of uh, weeks. We'll have plenty of different, different topics to talk about, the draft, the free agency, et cetera, as I teased early on in the podcast. But I wanted to thank everybody from the bottom of my heart for listening um, to the show throughout the season. This is my first full year podcasting. I've obviously been covering the team for uh, about five seasons now. But uh, in terms of this, of, of this medium and uh, the day-to-day grind of it all, as my first try, so I appreciate everybody hanging out with me throughout the campaign. Now, this is going to post on Saturday, which is a rarity for the podcast, but I feel like it had to be a quick turnaround for this one, be that it was the end of the season. Um, depending on what, on what exit interviews actually are, uh, if they are on Monday, we will not have a show on Monday. I'm going to wait for those before I do another show because uh, right now there's a little bit less urgency than normal, but uh, at least for a while here, I'm going to, I'm going to record. Um, I, don't want to, I don't want to guarantee five days a week, but it's going to be close to five days a week, uh, especially until we get through the draft of free agency and then uh, at that point in time, I'm, I pro- I'm sure I'll probably slow down. And at some point, if I run out of things to say between now and then, uh, I might slow down and only go a couple times uh, during the week. But uh, there you go. We'll, we'll be here uh, the great majority of the time, uh, as you might expect. Uh, and we'll have some guests on as well. I want to thank everybody that's come on as a guest. Uh, I don't even want to run through the names, but the, especially our frequent, guy, uh, frequent guests like Robbie Callen, Jeff Siegel, uh, Chris Willis, uh, Bo Cherney, people that made um, more than one visit on the, on the podcast. I really appreciate um, them doing that and everybody that joined me. I mean, the guys that... I couldn't believe uh, said yes to do the podcast, like Kevin Pelton and Tim Montemps and Zach Harper. Uh, shout, out, shout out to those guys for coming on the show as well. Uh, I also want to say, uh, before I sign off here, that uh, it was sort of an ugly week in the sports media realm. And while I do, I've never worked at ESPN, I do know some people that have. And, uh, and I know personally a lot of people, a couple of people that were laid off this week. So that's sort of an unfortunate thing, especially for somebody like me, who was an, uh, I, I want to th- I consider myself to be an aspiring person in this uh, in this media realm. And it's sort of a, a sort of discouraging to see the number one uh, sort of media empire laying off people in this, in this sort of way. It's kind of a frustrating and, uh, again, 
discouraging thing for someone who wants to do this full time one day potentially. So um, I don't want to just sort of get saddened by that. But uh, shout out to all those people that uh, made a huge influence on me coming up. I think of a few off the top of my head that um, I, I don't even want to start naming names now because I'll, I'll run out of them in a hurry because I didn't write them down. But um, just you know. Think about those people, think about their families, and hopefully hopefully for the best for all of them. So with all that said, I, I again, I greatly appreciate everybody listening to the podcast throughout the season. The, the season is over, but now the offseason begins, and uh, we're not going anywhere at all. So, uh, so please subscribe, tell your friends, do all those fun things. And if we're not back on Monday, we're back on Tuesday. And uh, thanks, as always, for listening. Stay tuned.